Hey, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, really appreciate you guys being here. And those of you who are watching from home, thank you for turning, tuning in. Hopefully you stick with us till the very end. Um, I've got some important stuff for you. God has some important stuff for you today in his word. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6, verses 40, or, yeah, 46 through 49 today. We're finishing off the Sermon on the Plain. And so if you've been with us, honestly, for a while now, we kind of interrupted this Sermon on the Plain for uh, uh, going through First Peter, but we're back in it now. And so we've had a, a few different weeks where Matt Porter kicked us back off again and Pastor Ryan Habig uh, preached last week. And I have the opportunity of doing the conclusion. So I just want to open up by reading the word here. Luke chapter 46, or verse, <laughs> chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So uh, I'm going to open up with a little bit of a confession. I usually do this. Uh, many people this week, for some reason, have asked me, kind of uh, some non-believers and believers, what do I do to prepare for a sermon? And I give them the usual that, you know, obviously I read the word. I usually try to read the passage I'm going to preach on ahead of time. Hopefully that gives some of you some comfort. And I, I try to pray on it as well, that I ask God to reveal to me. And then I do some studying after that when I really think I know what's going on. And there's all this stuff that I could tell you about that I could do. The part that I usually leave out is the part that usually happens between, I don't know, 10 p.m. last night and right now when I'm talking to you today, which is the part where I go through some crippling anxiety. Uh, it's, it's the hardest part for me. It's the part where I go, what am I even doing? And all of these things start rolling through my head. I, I, can't, I can't even tell you, I have generalized anxiety disorder. And so any, if any, any of you are familiar with that, it's like my mind doesn't cut off the rational. And so I think about all the possibilities of all the ways that I could mess up on here. And I must have checked my fly like 15 times today, just so you know. <laughs> And in fact, the worst, the, I think the worst uh, fear I have is, is reliving a trauma that actually happened to me. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's funny because it's Gray Newman was doing worship today and he has this way of being like a musician where he does that strum and he kind of looks down and you think he's done. And so I was, I was coming up on stage to do like the welcome or something and Gray does his strum and he gets down and I get up on stage and I'm ready to, to say something and then I realize that he's actually not done. He's just doing that instrumental thing. And so I'm standing there like, I'm part of this, yeah, you know, trying to sing. It, it, you have no idea how awkward that moment was for me. And so I relived that moment as I was coming up here today. I almost did it again during the second song. God has a funny sense of humor. He's constantly teaching me things. And so, but in all honesty, I, I'm worried about what you think of me. If I'm honest today, I do so much to impress you. I try to do so much in this sermon. I try to do so much studying. I try to have the perfect words to say. I think about so many different things because I want you to like me. I want you to like the words that I say today. I don't want you on the camera or 
you know, behind the camera. On Facebook, I don't want you to turn off, so I gotta keep you captivated. And I don't just do this as a pastor, I do this as a dad and as a husband. I'm part of this, these Facebook groups online. I don't know if any of you guys are part of groups where it's like they're part of your identity, but one of them is called A Bunch of Dads. And uh, in this Facebook group, all of these dads are always posting like, hey dads, what'd you build this weekend? And, and in fact, they say bro dads, which I still don't quite understand. I'm really uh, far out of culture now, but it's like, hey bro dads, uh, you know, what's your car look like? What ride do you have? And they say all these cool terms that I can't even re- remember today. But like, you, you find yourself looking at all of these different dads and, and the lives that they have and their perfect families and their RVs and their ATVs and their whatever Vs and their fancy Audis and their Lamborghinis and their amazing houses and their awesome building projects. And I just think to myself like, man, if I just have what they have, like maybe I'll have some more meaning, maybe I'll have some more value and I just find myself constantly doing this. And, and I find myself always trying to, to change my identity to keep up with culture, to keep up with the things that I'm seeing. And I don't think that I'm the only one with this problem. In fact, I know I'm not the only one with this problem. I think that you have this problem too. And I think that all of you today sense this inside of you. That there's something wrong. I've been reading a book lately uh, called Vertical Self. It's by Mark Sayre. It's a fantastic book. I really recommend uh, you guys read it, um, pick it up. It's a, it's a really good book. I've been uh, absorbing everything that Mark Sayre is saying lately. It's uh, really speaking to me. And he talks about this problem in this book. He, he calls it uh, horizontal culture, that it used to be as a society that we used to look up for who we are. We used to look up and see what change we needed. But over time, that's changed. Over time, we have begun to sort of lower the, the direction we look. And so if you kind of think about it over time, we, it used to be great leaders, right? And, and maybe like, uh, you know, amazing kind of men of God, but they weren't gods, right? They were, they were sort of lower than gods, but they were pointing us to a higher value and they were kind of above us. And then, then it became celebrities, and politicians, and with all that Hollywood has done, we're, we sort of want to be like celebrities. We want to be like these figures. But now we're in this really weird stage where we've got influencers and YouTubers and streamers. And it's not just that, we have each other. And so we don't look up anymore, and there really is no authority. Our culture is in this stage where it's all about be true to your own self. What do you think? Follow your desires. Don't, don't let anybody else tell you what to think of yourself. It's all about us. We've become a horizontal culture. And there's a problem with this. There's a problem with this in that we have an identity issue. Because deep down inside, I think all of you feel it. All of you know that we were built for something more, that we were created for something more, that our identity is more than this. And so we are constantly searching for meaning. And in the book, Vertical Self, Mark Sayer uh, has this quote that I think is really relevant to the passage and to what's going on. He says, in the absence of a story or a foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, People want to feel good. Instead of being good, 
People want to feel good. And that really sticks out to me because I think that's what you and I are feeling right now, that we've, we sort of have this conflict inside of us that now, without this authority, without this lack of structure in our life, we just pursue our desires and it's caused this identity issue because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And there is an authority over us. And Jesus wants to point out this issue, and he has been, if you've been paying attention for the last several weeks, he's been sort of showing us that there's, there's this difference in us that we aren't supposed to be people who judge each other, but we're supposed to judge ourselves. And we aren't supposed to be people who uh, uh, love people just because of the things they do to us and the way that they make us feel, but we are to love the people that are terrible towards us. We're supposed to love our enemies. And he's saying if, if you're really a good person, then you should produce good fruit. And he's pointing out this hypocrisy that all of us feel right now because we're torn between two worlds. Because we know deep down inside that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But the way that we act shows that we're obedient slaves to this world. So Jesus wants to address this issue, and I'm going to start out here in verse 46. And so if you remember, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. Um, he's just come down from praying all night, which I think is a huge thing. Um, whatever, I don't know exactly what he was praying about, but whatever it is, he decided to pray about all night before he gave sort of this manifesto. And so he's been preaching for a while, and he's preaching to this crowd of people who call themselves his disciples. He's preaching to a crowd who's come and follow him. And he starts out and he says, he starts out with a question, and I think he does this to identify the problem. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And when I read that, I think about, it's interesting that he says Lord, Lord. And if you look through the scriptures, you'll find that anytime you see that name or title repeated twice, there's some emotion behind it. That he's not just, uh, that the people that aren't, are there aren't just saying like, Jesus, the good teacher, or Jesus, yeah, he was a great guy. Jesus, he was kind of like a public figure. No, they're saying, Lord, Lord, you are my God, you are my master. These are the people that he's talking to. These are the people in our church today. These are you. It's me, it's you. These are people who go to church every Sunday, who hear him, who read his word. But he's gonna call us out. And he does it with a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This is a question that has plagued God's people throughout history. It happened before Jesus. Ezekiel 33, 31 says, you don't need to turn there, and I like the New King James Version. It says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gain. And it's funny because this next verse comes after Jesus by his brother James. And before I knew I was preaching this sermon, it was my daughter's memory verse. And she re recited this to me. She said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I thought, well, that's that's good, that's a good verse, kind of random that that's the one that somehow you chose to memorize and she said she just opened her Bible and there it was. And again, God is so, uh, he's so funny. He, he, 
He obviously knows what's happening ahead of time because now here I am preaching on that same thing. And he's preaching to me and he's telling me and he's telling you, be doers, not just hearers. Don't deceive yourselves today. No one should be sure today. So Jesus is posing this question. What kind of, what's your identity? Who are you? What do your actions tell me? What do your actions tell us? What does your Facebook feed look like? Your browsing history? What do you do in secret that nobody knows about? These are real questions. Who are you? And if you call yourself a Christian, what does your life look like? You see, I think many of you, like me, have an issue in that there was a movement that happened where an evangelical movement, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about it, but many of us had this idea that we could just confess with our mouths and say that we're followers of Jesus and then go on living our lives. And we thought that just putting our faith in God, it says that, there's so many scriptures, John 3, 16, right? We just put our faith in God and we're good. That's it. But it's not a, just a faith that saves you. Jesus wants to show you here with his words that it's an obedient faith. That if you call him your master, if you call him God, that you have to follow him and you have to do what he says. We have to, we have to seek him, we have to search him. But we have a problem. All of us have this problem and I've been talking about it today is that where do we look for our identity today? Where do we look for our value? Where do we look to tell us who we are? I think we're seeing this big time right now. How many, I don't know about you guys, but I remember before this mask mandate happened, um, I would, I would kind of look around like the store and I would look and say, okay, who's wearing a mask? Okay, if everybody's in the store is wearing the mask, I'm gonna wear a mask, right, before, before all this happened. And, and uh, you know, so many of us look to our social media feeds and our news feeds and, and we try to align what we should do with the narrative that we've sort of put ourselves in. And so I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of times if we lean left, we need to look to our left peers to find out what to do. And if we lean right, we look to our right peers to find out what to do. And I think it's interesting that you see this in society today, that the way you do things, the way that you act, the, the actions that you have you look around and you see what everybody else is doing. Do you guys feel this today? Is there a sense in you that says, I just want acceptance, I just wanna fit in, I just wanna find value in what everybody's doing around me? My wife and I recently had this discussion and we've been having to make some really tough decisions with the coronavirus and we've got family we wanna see, we've got a church we wanna attend and we're torn apart inside. And we could look to I don't know what news station, or we could look to our Facebook feed, we could ask our friends what they're doing. But I just had to preach to my wife and I said, the answer's in the word. 
We had to search God. We had to pray about it. If our identity is founded in Jesus, we are to be obedient to him. But the problem is, and what Jesus is calling out, is that we don't. Our actions don't tell the truth. And so Jesus wants to show us what it's like to follow him, what it's like to be obedient. And he does this through a parable of two builders. And both these builders are building a house. And they're, they're both builders who have a lot of similarities, but there's, some, there's a substantial difference. And so he says in verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You see, this first builder, he didn't just come to Jesus. He didn't just hear his words. He didn't just attend church on Sunday and then go away and then come back and hear some more and then go away and do whatever he wanted to do. Jesus is telling us what obedience looks like. And he says, you have to dig. What does it mean to dig? I think there's some irony here for me again because, like, I don't really know what, I've never built a house. And so I kept looking at this passage like, I don't know what, to, I don't know what it means to, to build a house, to dig. If you know anything about uh, Matt Porter, who's the, uh, the lead pastor here, the guy's actually built a house. And it's like, why isn't he preaching this? But I think God, again, had something for me. But man, I bet he would give you, like, a really great, like, talk about how you can dig with different tools and blah, 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 blah. All I know is you have to dig and it's not actually about taking out a shovel and digging up some dirt, but Jesus is trying to tell us something that digging takes time. It's gonna cost you something. It's hard work. You have to make some space to dig and you've gotta dig a hole. And so there's going to be some things you address in your life. There's going to be some things that you have to open up. There's going to be some stuff that's going to come out that people might see. But he doesn't just say dig. He says dig deep. What does it mean to dig deep? It means you've got to get to that rock. Pastor Ryan asked some questions last week. I don't know if you remember them. I wrote them down. I thought they were really great. He said, what makes you angry? Where is there conflict? What are you trying to control? What are you trying to protect? See, what it means to dig deep is to dig up some really ugly stuff inside of you. What it means to dig deep is to is to not just settle for getting rid of a sin, but continually digging out sin in your life and throwing it out and getting rid of it and digging up more stumps and more boulders and anything that's gonna get in the way of that rock. You have to dig deep. And you're gonna dig up your love of sin. You're gonna dig up your pride. You're gonna dig up your hope in yourself. You're gonna dig up your false beliefs. You're gonna dig up your jealousy. You're gonna dig up your anger, your anxiety. 
You're gonna uncover every longing for everything that you have that is not Jesus Christ and you are going to get rid of it. Christians, today, how I hope that you dig deep. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, don't settle for surface level Christianity. Don't settle for that image you wanna protect. Don't be afraid to show people who you really are inside because guess what? We're really messed up. And if you think for a second that Instagram feed you see is what your life should look like, then you have got it all wrong. And if you go away from a sermon happy with yourself, seeing nothing to change, then you haven't begun to dig deep and look at what's really down underneath. So I hope you ask yourself those questions. And I hope you get down on your hands and your knees and I hope you weep over your sin. I gotta be honest with you. I've been doing this more and more in my life as God has been just doing things in me. And man, I see who I am when I dig deep and God shows me who I really am and I'm left vulnerable and empty in front of him. And I wanna empty myself out. Do you wanna empty yourself out? And here's the problem that we can run into. He doesn't just tell us to leave that empty hole because you and I both know what happens if you just leave a hole. Not that someone's gonna fall into it, that might happen too. We could probably do a sermon on that, but that dirt's gonna come back in, right? Eventually all that crud that you got out of there will fill that hole back up. And if you don't get to the rock and you don't lay that foundation, You're just gonna fill your hole back up with more. So Jesus tells us to lay that foundation on the rock, the rock that is there waiting for us, ready to fill us with something that matters, ready to give meaning and value to our identity, to that house that we call our life, to our works. So what does it look like to lay a foundation on Jesus. After you've emptied yourself out, you've got to fill yourself with him. You're going to become more like him. Your identity is now tied to the rock, and the rock is part of you, and your house is connected to the rock. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate this. I think I just wrote down three things that, I've, that have substantially changed my life. Pray. I pray a lot, especially before a sermon, but, but more and more just in general. I see my need for him. I see who I am in comparison to who he is, and I pray, and I ask him, his work's not mine, his word not mine. And then I read, because I want to be transformed by him. I want to know what his word says. I want more of him. And I read his word. And as I've emptied out my social media feeds, as I've gotten off Facebook more and more, I don't, I'm not completely off of it. It's hard. <laughs> but as I've read the news less, as I've emptied myself out and made more room for him, oh man, that foundation, it's so good. And I think a big one that all of us really are seeing the value right now in is live in community. 
because God didn't mean for us to do this alone because this isn't just my faith that I keep to myself. This isn't just me, but I have to dig myself out and I have to be vulnerable in front of others. And they help point me back to that foundation. And a while ago, we realized how important it was to do these things, how to practice spiritual obedience in community. So I started this uh, cohort last year called Equip because God was doing something in my life and I, and I just felt like this was the time and, and we just thought we needed sort of like a leadership track or a training or whatever we wanted to call it. And the first session of this cohort called Equip is all about what we call devotion. And as a community of people, we asked something of everybody that joined. We said, it's gonna cost you something. Financially, yes, it's gonna cost you. And it's also gonna cost you your time there's a lot of books you have to read. And we made uh, no reservations about it. We said, this is going to be hard. You have to commit to a year. You have to be vulnerable. You have to do some things in your life. You're going to have to make time. You're going to have to make space. You have to do this in a community of people. And I, I think I invited like 25 people or something. And I thought, we thought that we would be lucky to get five. And almost every single person that I invited showed up that first day. And what happened with us is that we, we were vulnerable in front of each other. We laid out our lives. We committed to it. We, we made time and space for God and we read his word. We studied what it meant to be obedient to him and to have devotion in our life, to set rhythms and patterns around him, that he would set the day for us, that he would be the one who defined who we are and what we do. And I saw lives change like I've never seen lives change in front of my eyes. And it wasn't something that I did or that I'm a great teacher. Honestly, it wasn't much. But it was God doing a movement and people learning what it means to be obedient to him. People getting rid of anything in their lives that wasn't him and filling up that hole with a foundation that's tied to Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be obedient to God. And I totally think I forgot to, to uh, ask you these three questions, um, but I was supposed to start out my sermon with three questions of who are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Or are you a slave of culture? Make no... Make no uh, you, you are one or the other. And how do you build your identity? Is it in obedience to God or is it in pursuing pleasure? Are you, do you just want to feel good? Do you use God as a means to get what you want? How are you building your identity? And lastly, and this is the one that I struggled with the most, why does it matter? Why does it matter that you're obedient? Why does it matter that you follow God? Why does it matter that he's your master? And although this passage is talking to Christians, to people who call them Lord, Lord, I think it speaks to everyone in here. 
Why does it matter? Why should you be obedient? Why should you call him Lord, Lord? And if I'm going to be honest with you guys again, my notes on this are a little bit scrambled. I really didn't know what I was going to say when I came up here, but I felt God just calling me to just speak to you guys from my heart, to just tell you what's going on in my life, to tell you why this matters, because he's shown me why it matters, and he's showing me continually. And if I'm honest with you guys here today, the reason why this matters is because you guys make really bad masters. (laughs) We all make really bad masters. Nobody of us knows what we're doing. If I don't say the right thing, maybe you don't come back next week. If I don't look a certain way, what, what can I do to please you is what I think to myself sometimes, right? And we constantly live in this culture where we just try to measure up, we just try to be accepted by our peers. And it's just terrible, it's slavery. And if I don't wear a mask, I'm this person. If I wear a mask, I'm this person. And if I don't change my profile picture to whoever's relevant at the time, then I'm a bigot or a racist. But if I do, then I'm a police hater or a something. You guys are terrible. We are terrible masters. Do you guys sense that? Do you sense that the world around us is doing great? Do you sense that there's this awesome authority out there that's telling us the way it's gonna be? And are you really putting your hope in the next president of the United States? Are you? Do you think that a political figure is gonna change things for you? What's really going on, what's really going on in my heart, what's really going on in this world is that we're in captivity that we are defined by our works. But the problem is, is that they're never good enough for each other. And so we continually change who we are, we continually change the image that we protect in order to find meaning and value in the things that we do, but we never get that final approval from each other. And we keep going lower and lower and pursuing pleasure more and more, but it's never working out for us. And what's going on is that the devil just wants to keep us distracted long enough why? He wants to keep us distracted long enough and changing our identity and never finding out who we really are, that we are citizens of a kingdom. We are eternal beings. He wants you to stay in the pleasures of this world. He wants you to do it just long enough. Just search for who you are. Pleasure will finally come. If you just wear a mask, if you just change your profile picture, you'll finally be that person. You'll finally live in utopia. And why does this matter? Jesus answers this when he compares it to the second man. Says in verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the string broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. If you know anything about Palestine in this time, I hear it's sort of like the desert that I grew up in in Southern California. We used to have these flash floods and they'd come out of nowhere, and it'd just start raining, and I had this, like, I called it the creek, but it was like this little dig out next to my house, and it was because the floods would come so quick, they needed a way for the water to escape, and so from what I study, this would happen in this time, and it would take your house out, and it would come without warning. You see, what Jesus is trying to tell you today is that this world just wants to keep you enslaved long enough 
so that it can finally ruin you. And make no mistake, this passage is a warning. Whether you believe it or not, this judgment is coming. And there are some of you who will be deceived. And there's some of you today who won't even think about Jesus as Lord, Lord, and you'll just hear this message and it'll go one ear or the other. And that storm is coming. But there's some of you today who Jesus is talking to and he's saying, you call yourself a Christian, but what's underneath? What's your foundation look like? Will your house withstand the tests of time? The storms that come, maybe it's here, but maybe it's death. Culture is a master that requires your obedience. Make no mistake, we are all obedient to something. But culture is a master that wants you to be obedient in slavery so that it can finally destroy you. And the reason why it matters is because Jesus is a master who is also our savior. He's the only one. No other belief system, no other religion, no other philosophy can say that. Jesus is the only one who came down. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He put himself on a cross. He was betrayed by his friends and his family. He was mostly alone during this time. And he did it thinking of you. And I gotta tell you, man, so many times when I get down on this moment, when I've dug deep and I see myself in my sin and I just think, I am ruined. There's nothing left. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get this right? Why don't my works measure up? Won't people love me? Won't people like me? And I get down there and Jesus comes to me in this moment of darkness and I'm on my hands and my knees and he says, Matt, I see you. And I get this image of him and he's going to the cross and he's in the garden and he's full of anxiety like I have anxiety and he's sweating blood and tears and he says, I see you and I wanna take you out of it. Don't you know the captivity? I'm here for you and I'm about to go to the cross for you. And Jesus takes my worries. He takes my fear of you. He takes all my lying, all my deceit, all the wrongs that I do, the things that I can't do, the ways that I don't measure up, and he puts them on a cross, and he's hung, and he's nailed to it, and he bleeds out, and he dies. And he takes that room that you deserved, and he says, I've done it for you. Make no mistake, that day is coming where the measure of your house, the measure of your life will not stand on the works that you did, but on he who did them for you. You see, your works don't save you.
It's your works tied to what Jesus did that is a measure of your obedient faith. Your works show evidence of your foundation, which can only be on Jesus Christ. And it's not just for Judgment Day. If you're, if you're here just to claim that you want to follow Jesus so that you don't face that judgment one day so that you don't go to hell, you're missing what's right in front of you, what was right in front of them. You're missing Jesus. And oh, I beg today that you understand that this life isn't even worth living if you don't know him. That it's not just about that final day, but it's about that here and now. Would you see Jesus in front of you? He's inviting you right now. His yoke is light. His burden is light. Do you feel the weight of society? Do you feel that pressure? He's calling you now. He's saying, come to me, hear my voice, and let me set you free in obedience to a true king because I died for you and I love you. I'm gonna invite the band up. And as we close today, I just wanna ask those questions again to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, what's your identity? Who do you say that you are? What do your actions reveal about it? How are you building your house? Are you looking around to see what everybody else is doing, what features you can add on? Why does it matter? Is Jesus just an end to a means that you've decided for yourself? Is he just a way to get what you want? Or has he set you free from your desires to redeem them for an eternal purpose, to give you eternal joy, to make a house that is unshakable? I want to ask those questions of you. And as we close, I'm missing a cracker. Let's take communion together. Let's think about those questions. And if you feel the weight, if you feel that conviction of sin, that your works don't measure up, that your works don't really reveal who you are, I want to ask that you give that to Jesus because that rock, that foundation is ready and waiting for you to tie yourself to it, that your identity can be immediately found and your works can immediately matter and that they will withstand the test of time. And so we go to God and we repent of the ways that we've tried to get it right. And we say, God, it's not me, but you. And may my actions, may my obedience to you show what I believe, that they are evidence of my faith. And so let's take the cup. Oh, I do have a cracker. Let's drink of the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. Let's take the cracker. It's evidence of his body that was ruined so that you don't have to be. And let's remember that it's not how deep you dig 
but it's how deep the Father's love is for us. That's what this has all been about, that he came to you, he came to me. Let's sing that out now.